Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this Thursday, broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. Obviously, a lot this morning on the Pascal Siakam Trey Tony East will join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Raised expectations. We'll dive into that and much more as we go. Such a big swing uh, for the Pacers. But let's pause that for a second. Chuck Pagano joining us, coach here, uh, former coach for the Colts, and he joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday. How are you? Doing great, Andy. Good to be on with you in the wet blanket this morning. Coach, come on now. I was performing maybe a little moisture damp blanket here. God, I love you, KB, but God damn, you got to throw a wet blanket on this Everything going the way it's going here in Indy. NBA All-Star game coming. Siakam to town. Colts are doing wonderful. Who's got it better than us, Coach? Nobody. Exactly. I thought, you know, I thought a defensive guy like you would like more of my defensive focus here. I, I, I want to see a little bit more defense on that end of the well, floor. Isn't isn't this guy known for his defense? He can score, but he can play he can play defense as well, right? Yeah, I think the Toronto people say it's waned in recent years. I I, I, I like a little OG Ananobi, a little bit other here. Again, lukewarm on it. I, I've celebrated every Kevin Pritchard deal here over the past few years. Just a little lukewarm on this. Moist blanket right, here. Got to hold hold him accountable, I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> Moist blanket here. That's it. That's right. He's a big bag media coach. He's holding them accountable. That's exactly right. Coach, always good to hear your voice, and appreciate you Likewise. waking up with us here on this Thursday morning. Um, I guess we'll start pretty open ended. Your just general impressions on what you saw, Colts related, Shane Steichen related here in year one. Yeah, amazing job. Obviously, right? Come in and. You know, build a culture uh, in a short amount of time, set the set the standard, the expectations, obviously a culture of accountability um, to win the games uh, that they won, play meaningful games, you know, down the stretch to think that, you know, we're one game away, you know, from a division title and hosting a home playoff game. Of course, we didn't know that, you know, going into that game, but you're, you're, you're right there. So um, unbelievable job that, that he did. Uh, unbelievable job. You know, you look at offensively, uh, the future looks so damn bright with, with AR, right? And, and we just got to figure out a way to keep to keep him healthy, obviously. But job that Gardner came in as a, as a backup, JT coming back, um, MPJ, I got to figure that one out, uh, keep him in town. The O-line was way better. Tony Sperano Jr. with the job that he did was, was just fabulous. And then defensively, you know, 50, 51 sacks on the year, uh, nothing to bat an eye. You know, add Ebucon, Payne, Odie, you know, D-Buck. Uh, missed, uh, missed Big Grove for a minute there uh, in the in the middle there. But uh, Zaire Franklin, unbelievable. Another great year. Led the league in tackles. You know, you uh, part ways with Shaq. Um, grateful for everything that Shaq did for this team and in this city, obviously, but then, you know, EJ Speed coming in, Harrison, Kenny Moore, the resurgence, right? Got to figure out, hey, two years ago, everybody down on Kenny, he comes back and has a has a great year. And and so, yeah, really fired up for, for the future uh, with this organization. 
The great Chuck Pagano hanging out with us here on The Fan on this Thursday. Uh, You have made the move from coordinator to head coach, so you were impressed with Steichen. What is the the most difficult thing? What's the biggest leap you need to take when you go from coordinator to running your entire ship there? Well, you know, you credit credit him. You've got everything on your plate now, right? There's, there's going to be five things that come across Shane's desk every day that he's not going to want to deal with, but he has to because he's the CEO. He's the, he's the head coach, and, and that falls on, uh, on, on his watch, right? That falls on his lap. So, and then to, to do all that and call the offense, I got great, great respect for head coaches in this league that are also play callers, whether it's you know defensive coordinator right now up in Buffalo, the job that Sean McDermott does, uh, the job that Shane did, obviously here being the head coach and and also calling one side, but just navigating. Think about everything that he had to navigate in his first year. You know, a holdout, the deal with JT early on, the suspensions, um, injuries to your starting quarterback. Uh, do all this with a backup quarterback. Keep that ga- that team going. What were we three and five? Yeah, three and five. Right after eight eight games, yep. we're three and five, and then you know steady the ship. You see, you see a lot. There's a lot of teams out there that had much better, much better starts, but then lost their way, right? They lost their way and and implode down the stretch, and that never happened. So, I think the job that he did managing and handling, um, you know, everything that comes with with sitting in that seat for the first time, calling the calling the plays, and then just just you know keeping the waters calm. Uh, in a in a very adverse situation for a first year head coach, just I mean, worthy of obviously coach of the coach of the year honors. It's just unfortunate that he's in the same division with a guy that's still playing in a divisional game. You know, this Saturday up in Baltimore, D'Amico Ryan's. He is Chuck Pagano. He's throwing haymakers here early on this Thursday morning. We would have it no other way. We appreciate his time. Um, Coach, in today's NFL, if I were going to kind of throw at you, okay, what would be your ideal defensive makeup, ideal defensive blueprint? Where would you kind of fall in trying to stop these offenses on an aggression meter, on the types of coverages you would use, how frequently you would blitz? I feel like with your background, you'd probably be a good one to ask of just, okay, what do you view as kind of the ideal defensive makeup in today's league, which obviously has become pretty darn pass happy? Yeah, I think we saw you better be physical. Obviously, we always talk about it starts, you know, in the trenches, both sides of the line of scrimmage. But defensively, you better be big and physical up front. You better be able to rush the passers. We always talk about, hey, you can't have enough edge rushers and you can't have enough cover corners, right? So you better be able to rush the passer. You better be able to cover, um, you know, but the physicality of it. You know, if you're if you want to play small ball, if you want to put light, small, fast, athletic guys out there, which you know, with the advent of the offenses and the way things are evolving, uh, all the RPO stuff is is you know many uh, multiple wide receivers on the field, eleven personnel, one back, one tight end, three wideouts. As much as we're seeing that, you've got to have speed on the field. But at the same time, if you can't stop the run. Uh, then you you have no chance, and and we saw in the in Super Wild Card Weekend um, that very thing uh, you know happened to a uh, a couple of really good teams. Obviously, you know teams that uh, that won twelve games in the in the regular season and then just get run out of the park. You know because you you can't stop the run. You're not big enough. You're not physical enough. So 
you better be big up front. You better be able to rush the passer, and certainly you better be able to cover. Chuck Pagano with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Coach, there's just so much I want to ask you. I mean, it was Black Monday a few days ago in the NFL. And, I mean, we got coaches out there like Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh. You know, Belichick, though, you know, his uh, mutual parting of ways there in New England. You know, Mike McCarthy going to keep his job in Dallas. Nick Sirianni in Philly very much on the hot seat. What is it like for a coach to go through not only Black Monday, but the uncertainty as the week goes. And I guess just what's your opinion on the coaching carousel and a guy like Bill Belichick who might go from New England to Atlanta, something like that? Yeah, wild, right? Unbelievable. Who who, who saw this coming, right? Uh, I mean, we could all speculate. We talked about Bill and, and that possibility, you know, a month, month and a half, two months, you know, into the season. But you know, the uncertainty is crazy. It, it's so, so hard on, on coaches, the staff, but more importantly, the families. You know, the, the movement, it, it's a nomadic lifestyle, uh, if you will. Uh, the cliche, we all know what we signed up for, you know, it gets overused and we try to throw that out at the podium and, and try to brush it off like it's nothing. But, you know, there's the obvious ones. You kind of know, you know, it's coming. You know, I, I kind of knew it was at the end, you know, so – you can kind of, you know, get yourself geared up. You're never truly ready, but you kind of know. And then the guys like, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, he got the vote of confidence. He's coming back in, in 2024. Uh, but then a guy like Nick Sirianni, who's taking his team to uh, the playoffs every year that he's been the head coach there, a Super Bowl last year, probably should have won that game, a three-point loss to the Chiefs. You know, that's, that's murder's row, uh, you know, for not only the head coach, but, all those assistant coaches and you're sitting there fighting for your life. So you've, you've got a meeting planned with ownership. Uh, Nick's sitting down with uh, Jeffrey uh, Lurie as we speak, and he's going in there. He's got to have a plan. You know, you got to have a plan in place to say, okay, here's what happened. We're 10 and one. And then, you know, we lose, we go one and six. I think it was, you know, down, down the stretch. Uh, we completely fall apart have no identity, lost the stinger, lost the swag, this, that, and the other, make a you know, coaching change on the defensive side midway through, and it just looked like a shell of themselves. So he's in there. He's got a plan together saying, okay, here's, here's my vision going forward. Here's the changes. Obviously, there's going to be some changes. There's already been change on the defensive side. So he's setting his plan. He's sitting there talking to Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and, and putting a plan in place and, you know, if it's something that Laurie and Roseman are like, okay, this this sounds good, we're on board with this, or or if they're scratching their head, going, no, nah, I think we got to go in a different direction, especially with all the coaches that you mentioned, right? With a Belichick out there, uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, congratulations to him and the Michigan Wolverines, the job that he's done there, a proven commodity in the National Football League, going 44 and 19, you know, with the 49ers during his tenure there. Uh, Mike Vrabel, you got you got I mean guys that are that are proven commodities and 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 let's just say this too like it's really easy to say hey, we got to move on I mean this is you make a knee jerk reaction emotional reaction after a bad loss after you know uh, the way you ended the season and, and then you just got to ask yourself okay we got a guy that took us to the playoffs three straight years all right he'd done a hell of a job he lost both coordinators. One to Indianapolis and Shane, Jonathan Gannon to Arizona, did a phenomenal job. All right, 
if we let him go, who are we going to get? You know, are we guaranteed Bill? Are we guaranteed Vrabel? Do we have that, a burden of hand, you know, that whole deal, burden hands, you know. So you better make sure that you got something, you know, equal or way better before you just move on from a guy. Chuck Pagano is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, I want to kind of go to the other angle of what this time of year is also about from a coaching standpoint, and you certainly felt it in January 2012, of, you know, what is Ben Johnson Lions OC. What is Aaron Glenn, Lions DC? What are they feeling right now? Like, here you are, all this emotionally charged Detroit energy. Your fan base hasn't experienced this in 30 years. You're coaching the biggest game your franchise has had in decades. And yet, in the back of your mind, you're like, wow, am I about ready to have a life-changing interview and become a head coach of of an NFL football team? If you don't mind, share what you felt as you guys made the AFC title game on the brink of the Super Bowl in January 2012. And then all of a sudden, through that emotional roller coaster, you're getting a call from Jim Mercer and Ryan Grigson. Yeah, I mean, the circumstances were such that I had no idea, right, that this was coming. So I didn't have, you know, the to prepare for, for the AFC Championship game, to prepare for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So my focus was singular. I had no idea um, that that phone call was coming. Until we got until we got beat, we got home, and the next morning went into the office. John Harbaugh called me in his office and says, "Hey, we got to talk." So, for those guys that you just mentioned, you know, De- Detroit, for example, you know, with with Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, they they got you know the major the the, the major task at hand is is winning another playoff game, right? That's that's preparing you know for Tampa Bay, who's coming to coming to town, and at the same time. You got to jump on a on a Zoom, whether it's an hour, two hours, whatever, and your livelihood, um, all the goals and dreams that you set for yourself are sitting right in front of you. You've done enough to this point to put yourself in the conversation. So how how do you balance all that? And so they've talked uh, a lot, uh, KB, about you know what's what's fair. What gives everybody the same competitive advantage, you know, when it comes to hiring these guys, interviewing these guys, and trying to say, hey, let's just wait till the season's over, so to speak, but trying to come up with a formula uh, that's fair for everybody. But I can't imagine sitting there uh, trying to get your team prepared, and then at the same time, and again, these guys got agents. They got a bunch of people working for them, so they've, they've been through it. So they've got, like, their books ready. They've got their questions ready. They've got, you know – probably all the answers, most of the answers, probably 90% of the answers to the test already answered and right in front of them. But still, I can't imagine trying to navigate uh, those waters, uh, especially with, with everything on the line, because you can't, you're not going to sell uh, your players short, your teams short, your organization, your head coach. You, 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 can't, you can't do that because at this point with eight teams left, it's going to show up, you know, come game day. If you spend all your time worrying about, okay, what's down the road and, and trying to get that head coaching job and, and you didn't do a, the job that you needed to do to prepare, we, we've seen some teams uh, already in Supercar Wild, Super Wild Weekend, right, whatever you call mm-hmm. it, um, that didn't look prepared, right? So so you just thought you, you just thought you were going to be back at Baltimore after that season. You didn't you didn't think you'd go on some, you know, coaching interview circuit? Uh, hey, as God is my witness – I'll tell you, KB, it was like when I went in that next morning, we got home like 3, 4 in the morning from that trip in, up in New England, playing as late as we did. 
going the next morning, John called me in and said, and Indy called. And I was like, what do they want? <laughs> I didn't have, again, as God, I didn't even know that job was still open. Hmm. You know, so that was just like a whirlwind. Okay. All right. Well, get on the phone with, with Ryan, you know, and, the, and then the rest is the rest is history. The next thing, next day you're on a plane, you're scrambling to try to put it, put some stuff together to, at least give yourself a chance to come in and, and sell yourself and sell your program and your vision. God, this wow. Is wild, wild. <laughs> that is wild. Just year. walking into work and say, Hey, the Colts want to talk to you, but yeah. I had coaching job. Wow. Life changing event <laughs> to say and the I, least. And be honest with you. Remember that, I mean, John gave me the opportunity of a lifetime in 2008, just to go there and be with that group of that organization. Ozzie Newsome, you know, uh, Steve Bishotti, ownership, the whole thing, right? That defensive room, the players that they had in 08. And then, you know, give me the opportunity to call the defense in 2011. I didn't want to go anywhere. We just built a home. We we lived in a home six months there, it, it, you know. And, and so kids are thriving. Tina and I are having a great time. We got a great defense coming back. You know, it's just they beat us in the wild card going to win the Super Bowl the next year. So I wasn't, I didn't want to go anywhere. I'm like, Hey, John, call him back. I'm not interested. I want to stay. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Like I had, <laughs> you know what? Sticking out of my forehead, right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was like, I want to talk to Ozzy, too. You got to go talk to Ozzy. You got to tell you the same thing. You got to talk to these people. <laughs> That's great. Incredible. Chuck Pagano yeah. with us here on this Thursday morning. Coach, the best to you, the best to Tina, the girls, the grandkids. Uh, safe travels back to Boise. And as always, thank you for the time, my man. Appreciate you guys. See you, Andy. See you, KB. Yeah, through it all, I think, KB, you mentioned. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton questionable tonight. Pacers back in action. 10 o'clock, that one in Sacramento. 9.30 hour coverage right here on The Fan. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline from the Toronto star. Doug Smith joins us here on this Thursday uh, on The Fan. We'll talk about everything Pascal Siakam-wise with him. Doug, good morning. Thanks for joining us, man. How are you? My pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us. I guess let's start here. Uh, fill in a blank for me, Doug, if you don't mind. The thing that Siakam is going to bring to the Pacers ASAP is going to be what? Passion and professionalism. Okay. Expound on that if you can. The guy is just a, he's a basketball player. He works hard. He's the first guy in the gym, last guy out. He plays with a, an energy that, that is sort of infectious. And he's a tremendous, tremendous player. Like, he's going to – he should thrive playing next to Halliburton. Um, he's going to take an awful lot of load off him offensively. And I, I think people – I think he might have been kind of hidden playing up here. But he's a really, really, really good basketball player that the fans, are, I think, are really going to take to. Uh, Doug, for those that maybe have not watched Siakam all- – Offensively, I think crafty uh, in a way. At times, I'm like it's kind of an old school throwback. Could you describe exactly how he goes about, you know, his whatever 20, 25 points a night? Well, he, he's become a, an adept three point shooter, but he, he's really good as a post guy. He's got a great spin move in, in traffic. He's able to finish at the rim uh, very, very well. I think 
he, he, he's going to be a really great guy in a pick and roll because he can handle the ball and get in the paint and create havoc. And he's also, I think the thing that really emerged in the last 18 months, he's a really good and willing passer. Like he doesn't need to get the shots up. He's going to, he's going to find the, he's going to make the right basketball play. And I think that on that roster with all those shooters and all those great young guards, that aspect of his game is really going to come through. Doug Smith with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, we've talked a lot here because offensively, boy, the Pacers are good. They're good already. Then you bring in Siakam, so we already know that they uh, are an offensive team, putting up numbers, you know, the best numbers in decades in the NBA. De- but defense, that's been the conversation. Uh, and, you know, the, the the Pacers ran on a guy like OG Ananobi, and he definitely would have helped them defensively. Siakam playing defense, what kind of a defender is he? Well, he's probably never going to make an all-defensive team, but he's not going to kill you. He can guard his man. Um, you know, he's probably, he probably could be stronger and a little bit more physical. Maybe not the greatest rebounder out there, but he's a passable defender. He's not going to hurt you. He may not turn the team's fortunes around immediately, but he's not going to cost him a lot of baskets. He's not going to give up 30 and get 28, that kind of guy. Doug, did it surprise you at all, the difference in trade packages? I know their ages are different, um, but did it, it, it surprise you at all the difference in what maybe the Knicks gave up for OG and Anobi compared to the Pacers with Pascal Siakam? Yeah, a little bit. I thought, the, I thought the Raptors would have found a way to get a guy who could fit into the rotation now for Siakam, and they didn't get that. They got the picks, which are well, – they, they didn't have a 2024 pick. Now they have two in the first round. And even if it's a bad draft, they still got – bits that they could parcel off if they wanted to. Um, but, uh, again, a 29-year-old guy who's going into a free agent year, and I would presume that the Knicks know that they're going to re-sign OG Ananobi. I'm not sure the Pacers know they're going to re-sign Siakam. And I think that might be a bit of a difference in the, in the, in the two packages as well. Certainly has a huge element to this trade here if you can re-sign him or not. Again, Doug Smith is with us here, covers the Raptors for the star.com. Did I see you're a friend of Mike Wells, Doug? If so, I, I apologize. One of the all-time greats, Mikey, is. I knew him back in the incarnation when he was a basketball writer like a thousand years ago. One of the best. But I, now he, he's an he astute professor. He's going to go to Oxford, I think, and oh, man. be a professor moving forward here. <laughs> yeah, he always had that kind of professorial, knowledgeable uh, aura about him. <laughs> he is a great, great human. Um, last one from me on the Siakam front. You mentioned 29, you know, in all likelihood, whether it's, I assume it's with the Pacers, but we'll see, you know, a, a huge extension is upcoming for him. His game's a little throwback. Does that make you think he's got a little bit more staying power, like into his 30s, uh, you know, with that contract, you know, whatever, being 250-some million as he gets a little closer to his mid-30s? Yeah, I, I, I think he... He, he's, he takes care of his body really well. He's, he's very cognizant of the need for rest, rehab, weightlifting, eating right. He's been very durable. He hasn't been hurt a lot in his career. And I think uh, he's a young 29, let's put it that way. I think he's, kind of, he's got the game where uh, he's not going to punish himself. I think playing into his mid-30s is absolutely, at a high level, absolutely possible. Do you think the Pacers, I don't know, how much was this, and Doug Smith with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, how much, and you would know, how how much of this was, hey, 
we're the Raptors. We got to get something. They have let guys leave in free agency and, you know, notable names, notable players in franchise history and got little to nothing on their way out. How much of this was if we're not going to resign him and we're not going to resign him, we have to get something for him? How much do you think that was brought up in the back and forth with any of the teams, including the Pacers? Oh, that was a huge part of it, guys. A huge part of it because they only lost Fred VanVleet last summer for nothing. Uh, Serge Ibaka left the championship team for nothing. Marcus Saul for nothing. Kawhi left for, for to go home in L.A. Now, they did turn Kyle Lowry into a, a couple of players that they sort of packaged off, but they've never got a great return for a leaving star. And they needed they could not go into the summer uh, and risk Siakam walking for nothing. And even if the two picks turn out to be average players, at least they got them in their pocket. And that was – that drove, I think, I think that – that and the emergence of Scotty Barnes drove this trade to happen right now. And, you know, maybe the Pacers' two picks were the best, the three picks were the best offer they got out there. Obviously, they were. That's what they took. But, yeah, that, the risk of Siakam leaving and getting nothing in return was a huge driver in any transaction they were going to do with him. So Bruce Brown gets about a half a season here, comes in as a free agent. Will he will he get to unpack his bags in Toronto, or do you think the Raptors <laughs> will flip him, or uh, is he just going to send his suitcase to another city? <laughs> I, I think he could probably fit in the rotation for the forty game, forty one games that are left. I don't presume that they would pick up his twenty three million dollar option next year. I think that's a that's a stretch. Um, I'm sure maybe there are teams out there that are in, like contending teams that want a guy like that coming off a championship year. Maybe they can flip him in the next three weeks, two and a half weeks, but I don't think he's a long-term piece, and neither are the other two guys. I think this is all about getting something for Siakam, getting back in the draft, and he, even if they could attach one of the 24 picks to another player in another trade, that's another part of it. Doug, I, don't think, I don't think Bruce Brown's going to be starting on Friday on, on Saturday night in New York. Let's put it that way. Sorry for interrupting mm. there, Doug. Great stuff. Appreciate your insight here uh, on this Thursday morning, and uh, we'll certainly tell Mike Wells that you said hello. <laughs> Please do it. I'm a big fan of Indy. I've had more than my share of shrimp cocktails and ribeyes, and <laughs> I may or may not have spent the end of a night in the Slippery Noodle one time. Ah, you certainly are <laughs> there not you go. the last person that will say that. Doug, thank you. All right, guys. Take care. That's Doug Smith right there on the Payless Slickers Highline. Good stuff from the Toronto side of it. I, did he, I don't know, did he express a little hesitancy about Siakam re-signing here in Indy? I, Ooh, I just assume that, that's like... That was music to your ears, right? What? Because you're hesitant <laughs> about the trade in general, so him not re-signing would get you a little pause. No, KB would rather oh, be tra- wrong on this than, uh, yeah, than I, have him not sign. No, not work at all. That is not where I'm at. Yeah, if Siakam goes and signs with the... I have a lot of s- financial stake in the Pacers doing The YouTube well this chat season. disagrees, Kevin. Yeah. If Max is going to college, the Pacers need to win 40, yeah. was it 45 and a half games. There is a lot of financial stake here at well, this. Well, the Pacers, listen, the Pacers feel confident on it. Like, to me, I think what you said at like 7.15... They've earned the benefit of the doubt on oh, this certainly. one. If we walk in here and Siakam in, you know, in July has signed with, you know, Sacramento has signed with Boston, signed with Atlanta or something else, then yes, we'll revisionist history say it's a complete disaster. You think he was going sausage, egg, and biscuit there? <laughs> I was told- hoping it was Tim Hortons breakfast. Dude, he was, Tim Hortons is great. He was totally eating something. Tim Hortons biscuit. <laughs> Doug Smith was eating something, right? Or he had a maybe he had a cough drop. I did get a little nervous of where he was going to say he was late night at the end of that interview. 
Slipper Noodle was one of the safer answers. <laughs> I was about I to was say, that's a safe answer. Thinking about with that answer there. Um, I, I, yeah, the YouTube chat mark is not happy with me, right? They're not pleased. They want me doing, la- I, I, maybe they're used to me doing laps around the circle naked for some of these moves, and because I'm not doing that here, they're very, very good. See, I, wait, go I, don't, I don't like that. I don't, can I say that? I don't like that. You, you, are, you are fair. I think we're pretty fair. There's going to be moves. There's going to be games. There's going to be decisions that we you know, either don't like or at least question parts of it, and I think it's okay to question parts of it and not just run around you know, Monument Circle without clothes on. I think that's okay. I'd like to go back, if you don't mind, and read the tweet that I sent out after this trade happened around 3 o'clock um, yesterday, just to explain. Again, I think uh, people are acting like I, I-, I want this dude shipped out of town immediately. <laughs> the tweet, the the tweet, I should say, read like this. What I like, legit score, creator at a position of need, and you show Tyrese Halliburton that you're swinging. I mean, I think those are big things that are huge wins for the Pacers in this move. I mean, hell, we've been talking about finding a four-man for a while. The questions that I laid out, it doesn't match others' timeline. I would like to see anyone disagree with that from an age standpoint. Uh, what did Doug call him? Did Doug call him a passable defender? Was that the phrase that he yes, used? Yes, a passable defender. He's okay. not going to help you, but he's not going to hurt you. So Pacers I, would use passable, I yeah. think. I said uh, <laughs> as a good. question, defensive questions remain. I, I don't think that is that far-fetched. Uh, I think it limits you from much else major in the next one to two years. Handing someone $250 million when you are a franchise that doesn't sniff the luxury tax. I think that does limit you sure compared it does. to where you were sure this time yesterday. And then lastly, and this is the true unknown, but do injury questions grow post age 30? I would like for anyone out there to say, read, listen to that tweet and say to me where I am dead wrong or where I think this is a total failure of a trade. There are a lot of positives. To acquiring a, acquiring a player like Pascal Siakam, I also think there are some legit questions that need to be asked. And if you don't want to ask them, I just think you're naive to acting like you know whatever. This is start, J- this is JMV's fault. He did this. Start itching the band. Yeah, he did this at five oh one yesterday. Like you he started did. it. He did. But no. did you start it? Here, I'll I'll read you here. Da, da, da. Let me find this real quick. I was walking the dogs. I finally got the dogs out of the house a little bit. He blamed you, and you're blaming he him. He did. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> a lot of maturity here in the sports radio world. Oh goodness, how do I have JMV saved? Uh, what what sounds I go Kate, best? I go Kate. Wet, wet blanket, moist blanket, or damp blanket? Uh, just, wet blanket Bowen has a nice ring to it. Uh, just the word moist is a word that some people just don't like. Yeah. I don't care, but I'm saying there's some people that probably cringe every time you use that. Uh, I go, KB's not thrilled with the trade. He wanted them to wait a little bit, but was more accepting if he signed a long-term deal. I put, I'm with you. Go win late first-round picks. Uh, you're good at getting role guys anyway. Pacers, he didn't care about my analysis. Pacers can find <laughs> them and develop easily. And JMV texts me back, let's rip his ass. Done! There, there we go. I think that the reason why I feel more positive about this trade is the 2024 first round picks. I mean, the 2024 draft class is nothing to write home about at all. It's it looks all foreign like a players. bust of a draft. Right. So getting and rid I- of those is fine. And I think there isn't a lockdown defender that's currently available. I don't even know who that person would be that the Pacers could acquire. So if you're getting a guy that can ride with Halliburton offensively, maybe, you know, the trade deadline's still over a month away. You get that trade down the road. You get that defensive player down the road, whether it's a Buddy Heald deal or somebody right. that'll to unload that way. No, and I think that's a very fair and, and good point to bring up, Mark. And I think I've said it several times this morning. I'm very interested to see over the next three weeks 
what else happens. Because I don't think this is the end of it. I, I I mean, on paper, I mean, if you're Obi Toppin or Jalen Smith, you're like, wait a minute, what? I mean, and this probably does this slams the door shut on Jarris Walker ever playing meaningful minutes this season, right? I didn't think he was going to. Right. I, I, but but I yes, but it there does. Was some hope, I think, at times of like. At the end of the year, he could become a role could player. He crack sure. Some sort of rotation. Sure. Uh, which, again, I am of the thinking. I know a lot of people are like, well, the eighth overall pick can't even get on the floor as a rookie. I'm like, guys, there are plenty of examples in NBA history. I mean, Pascal Siakam spent the early part of his career in the G League. Like, uh, it, 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 that does not mean that all of a sudden this guy can't play or you should bail on him or anything along those lines. When I say. That tweet, Andy, what's the thing you disagree with the most? Probably in the question, because I think you agree with the like. So, of the questions I laid out, doesn't match others' timeline. Defensive questions do remain. Limits you from uh, much else major in the next one to two years. Injury questions grow post-30. Of those four things, which one do you disagree with? Uh, I I would say it's probably the third one. Uh, it, It does limit you, but... I am scared that, uh, and this is how I think many Pacer fans view it, that we don't, and if if this trade didn't happen, KB, and we found out, okay, it was three first-rounders, Jordan War, Bruce Brown Jr., okay. I don't have another name to give you of, okay, the Pacers can be attached to this player. Which grant was it? Oh, someone... Jeremy, I think Jordan was one of my favorite uh, Notre Dame players. <laughs> it was one of the Grant brothers that you know. If this doesn't work out, they would have been attached to that yeah, guy. Jeremy Grant was yeah, kind of a popular. I, name. I think that that that's who it was, and so to me, that would have been not Pascal Siakam. So, and even if you move Grant out of the way, I would have sat here saying, yes, in the next eighteen months or so, sure, somebody is going to be frustrated at their. You know, they're going to want more money. They're frustrated. A rebuild's coming. They're frustrated with a number of things. We understand that player empowerment is so vital. It's so prominent. It leads the NBA. I mean, it's one reason why, you know, Jonathan Taylor did it in the NFL. We're like, yeah, this doesn't always work like this in the NFL, but it absolutely, I mean, look what James Harden has done his entire career. Ten times out of the NBA. I think that would be my thing. I agree with your point, but having Siakam instead of wondering who might get pissed off at their organization in the next 12 to 18 months, boy, I can sell Siakam a lot more than, hey, someone might not be happy and we might be able to trade somebody. The problem you also have... a soap opera. You don't have to worry about that. Here's the problem you have, though. Contract-wise, the reason maybe you had to do something now is you have Buddy Heald unrestricted after this season. You have the Obi Toppin. Uh, he is restricted, but you know the thought of bringing him back and Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. So you have three or four friendly contracts, a couple of these contracts, KB, that you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to do something with, right? Either re-sign a guy or they're going to become an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, even a guy like Andrew Nemhard, who's not making very much, you have a club option in 2025. And then in 26, he's unrestricted. The reason I bring that up is you just have, you know, Neesmith signed that three-year deal. You have a contract-wise, you had to do something maybe now to, to kind to kind of thin that herd just a little bit. That would be something I would throw back at you. And yeah, the pushback I, from the chat is that the timeline is Tyrese Halberton. Tyrese Halberton is the timeline that the Pacers should be lining everything up with. Right. Siakam's seven years older than him. 
Yeah, but he's they still... They would say their contracts align the same. Yeah, the timeline is now. six-year uh, deal, Siakam a five-year deal is what they're saying. saying. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're I, saying he's a little bit older. If Siakam were 27, going to be 28, those couple years, I, I think would... I mean, and also, you might have had to give up somebody. Oh, in this. I mean, again, the Pacers didn't give up yeah, I don't a act player like the that Ananobi hurt them. trade would have been the exact same sort of trade. No, I, I don't want to act like that at all. Um, all right, on the other side, Tony East can join us here in about 10 minutes. Uh, we'll do that coming up and get the Pacer side of it uh, from him. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm in about 10. Nine o'clock hour broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. We appreciate you making us a part of your day here on uh, Siakam Thursday as we've been breaking that down for much of the show. Also, Chuck Pagano joined us. He's fantastic, by the way. That guy needs to do more media. I know he's just doing McAfee. That guy needs to be on some shows. I like him. He's good. Always enjoy Oh, Chuck. he's fantastic. I Candid. just like that he smacked Kevin over the head five <laughs> gotta, seconds after getting on the air. I just, I just like that we may have hit the dumb button three seconds into the interview. All those things that I appreciate. A couple questionable dumb button moments. <laughs> there was one in the middle. I was like, did he say I what know, I think he I said? Know, yeah. uh, but check all that out. 1075thefan.com. All right, let's head on back on uh, to the Payless Liquors hotline. A man who's been very busy here the last uh, 18 hours or so. His name is Tony East. SI.com locked on Pacers, Forbes, WTHR, many different places you can find him. Tony, thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Uh, it's weird. Uh, it's just been a wild 18 hours. I've been on my phone quite a lot. So excited to be talking and not smashing my thumbs into some letters, typing out a tweet or a text or something. <laughs> much better. Well, there you go. Uh, get a couple hours off after, uh, after you you're on time. with us. Yeah, yeah. We, we do appreciate it. Let me ask you this just to get things going. Um, what do you love most about this trade, it can be on the floor, off the floor. What do you What do you love most about the trade, and, and what is the biggest question mark still with the Pacers surrounding this trade yesterday? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to be talking to you guys about this again because the, I think this was where you, know, you guys asked me. I think it was you, Kevin, a couple months ago about Siakam or Ananobi, which one I thought was a better fit with the Pacers. Yeah, I think that he just exactly what the team. Let's reset. Let's reset here. Bring it back out. We got an offensive rebound. Time to reset. Tony's in the bunker. That's where he's at right now. He's uh, in the NBA free agency bunker. To be fair to Tony, (laughs) I did text him before the trade went down. I was like, you know what? We'd love to have you on tomorrow because I do remember this conversation, Andy. He was very much pro Siakam. Because that was different than us, wasn't it? We kind of wanted OG and OB at the time. And, and, you know, as much as I've said today, I should probably give Kevin Pritchard and Tyrese Halliburton the benefit of the doubt. Tony East is so bleeping smarter, much smarter than me, that I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I am just an idiot to have any sort of skepticism or questions about this because Tony East is a genius. And I, and I literally mean I, I don't know if I like you bending the knee that much I to Tony him. East. Okay. I love him. Uh, Tony, you're back. Uh, hopefully we got you connected. Again, I asked you, and you were you were just explaining how you love the fit with Siakam. What I asked you was, what do you love most uh, and what is still the biggest question mark surrounding everything that went down yesterday? 
yeah, they finally have the forward, right? So the guy they've been needing for forever, a really great fit with with them offensively, really great fit with Tyrese Halbert, right? And I think that all is, is fantastic for the Pacers. And really, it kind of allows everybody to slide naturally into their position, right? I think that's an underrated part of this, too. There's going to be small forwards guarding small forwards for the Pacers. Now there's going to be centers playing center. There's no, you know, a six foot three guy guarding a seven footer like we saw on Monday of this week, for example, that has to happen as often going forward. It just really plugs a lot of holes for them. And now I think the questions that come are one immediate short term stuff with their expiring contract guys and they have a new direction, Buddy Hill, Obi Toppin, for example. But really the direction part of this is fascinating. Their timeline is now the timeline of Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halbert. Can they develop at the same time as they're trying to win on that timeline? Or do they need to hit the accelerator with every player on the roster? If you're not ready to compete and be a part of the Pacers winning ways very soon, are you right for this roster? I think those are the questions you're going to have to answer in the next year that are a really interesting part of this because it felt like for a while they were on a development-ish timeline, pretty young team, a lot of guys on rookie skill deals in their rotation. Now it's like, well... You've got two stars in your starting lineup. You're going for it. Tony, part of the reason I love having you on, your opinions are great, but I also think from an educational standpoint, you you provide a ton. And so this is more of an educational question than anything. Could you explain to me and to our entire audience <laughs> about the money the Pacers can offer Pascal Siakam now in the offseason compared to the rest of the NBA? Yeah, they have his bird rights now. Uh, the team that the team that has a player when the season ends that was on a three-plus-year deal uh, has their bird rights. So the Pacers have Siakam's. No one else does. So what that means is they can offer him a five-year contract, up to five years. It doesn't have to be five. Nobody else can offer him five years. That's already a built-in advantage the Pacers have uh, in free agency. They can offer an 8% year-over-year raises from that first season. Nobody else can offer him more than 5% raises. So that adds up to you know, a pretty significant amount of money when you add in the extra year and the extra bonus uh, of raises at the end that no one else can offer. And originally, you know, it sounds like Siakam would have been excited about having those advantages with Toronto, who could also have offered him a no-trade clause or a Supermax because they drafted him. But and that's not the case. The Pacers are the only team that can offer him the fifth year and the extra percentage of raise. So his max contract, if the cap goes up as much as possible, would be exactly the same as Tyrese Halberton's max contract that you saw last summer, that five years, $260 million. Now, should, should, he, should the Pacers sign him to a deal that big? No, but that is what the maximum is. The advantage, though, that fifth year provides is so significant because they could even offer, you know, $1 more than any other team just by using that fifth year guaranteed. They're guaranteed to be able to offer Siaka more money than any other offer he can get from anybody else. And if that's what it comes down to for him at, in his age 30 free agency, I think that's going to mean a lot for the Pacers this year. Okay, his agent, again, Tony East is with us, obviously his coverage outstanding here, been a busy man over the final or the past 24 hours, uh, SI.com, Locked on Pacers for the podcast there. Uh, his agent shared this quote to Mark Spears, covers the NBA nationally. The quote is, I'm excited that Pascal is getting a first-class opportunity of the Pacers, being paired with Tyrese and Miles and being coached by a great coach and Rick Carlisle. His future looks bright there. Why would his agent say that? <laughs> uh, excitement about being in a new situation is certainly part of it, uh, I think, and 
It's just been, I think, weird. I mean, you don't that. say that, I guess, if you're not going to re-sign, right, is what I'm getting at. I, I, I didn't word that yeah. probably how I how I should have. But, like, I mean, me covering the NFL, you've covered the NBA, Tony, I don't see agents say stuff like that immediately after a deal when their player could potentially be on the open market in four months. Yeah, it's unique. I agree with you for sure. And Woj was on SportsCenter last night with Kevin Nagandi, and he said something similar that, you know, Siakam's talked to Halliburton about the process, and you know that I think Woj said earlier that he's eager about the opportunity to resign. Like I said this when two days ago, and this was all just reports and not an official deal. That you know, the, doing this without you know really, really, really confident feelings that Siakam would be resigning would be not smart to me by the Pacers, and they didn't give up any of their really core stuff in terms of young players or, or tradable things, uh, but. It's still silly to trade for someone of that caliber and give up three firsts without, you know, feeling pretty good about your chances to keep him, or at least a, an, an idea of what it's going to take to do so. So I agree with you that his agent, specifically the person in charge of negotiating that contract, saying that on the record so fast is so meaningful, especially because, like, if he really did want to stay in Toronto, you know, he, he could have extended with them on a bigger deal, like right now, anytime. So the fact that they weren't willing to to have that happen, I think, means there's some excitement in being in a situation that he's excited about and, and getting all that out and making it well-known, I think, has value to them. Tony East with us here on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Tony, let me ask you this. If, let's say the Pacers, let's say this trade didn't happen and it came out that Bruce Brown Jr., Jordan Wara, and the three first-round picks, two of them coming up here uh, in 2024, that it didn't happen and it was from the Pacers' side that it didn't happen, what would your reaction have been? And then on top of it, if Siakam was, you know, didn't become a Pacer, what other names or name would we have pivoted to? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think the um, if, had it not happened, I think the thinking would have been that Siakam is not interested in, in sticking in Indiana, and that was giving the Pacers cold feet with something like that. Like if that offer was on the table, and the Pacers were the team saying no, they had to be scared about something else because again, I think a big part of this is they still have Nemhart, they still have Mather, and they still have Walker, and yes. Their timeline is now very much accelerated, but having those guys as as tradable things just as much as developing talent is really important for them. So if they had the three firsts Brown or offer on the table and the Pacers said no, they think that would have revealed quite a bit about what they think about long-term Pascal Siakam with the Pacers, even though they still would have had him for you know the rest of this year and whatever postseason uh, events they have in them. As for you know going forward and, and what other players – the, the names could have been, you know, the, the classic ones are going to always be Mikael Bridges, who's just fantastic and on an amazing contract and would be a wonderful fit with the Pacers. But for all the same reasons that the Pacers would want him, the Brooklyn Nets would want him. And they, they don't have any incentive to tank in, in their current situation. So, he you know, he's always one you'll think about, I think, if you're the Pacers. But it's, it's just so unlikely at this point. But the reason it's hard to come up with names is, the guys that the Pacers would want and that fit them and that are available is really low. That's why them actually getting it done with one of these wings that fits them so well, I think is so important because after Mikael Bridges, it becomes, you know, Jeremy Grant, who's really good, but his contract maybe isn't so good. Or a lot of guys who are either not as good as Siakam or are on a contract that gives you some questions. And maybe Siakam's contract leads to questions in a few months. We'll have to see. But as it stands, I think it's the best, one of the best fits, at least, that was going to be available to them. 
He is Tony East, and as always, terrific insight here uh, in regards to the Pascal Siakam trade. Became official late last night. Sounds like potentially could be in Portland tomorrow night. It'll be a back-to-back. Pacers got the Kings tonight. Trailblazers tomorrow, and then they'll wrap up the West Coast trip with the Suns on Sunday. Tony, what? Um, I, I want to go both ends of the spectrum with you here. What are you most confident in about Pascal Siakam's acquisition, acquisition with the Pacers, and what are you least confident in? Or your biggest question, however you want to look at it. <laughs> I'm most confident that he's just going to be like the perfect offensive fit. I mean, it's worked out for the Pacers this year that you know Tyrese Halliburton, obviously reliable almost every night, one of the best 10-whatever number you pick players in the NBA, but they always need a second guy to step up next to him, and they have a lot of talent, which has meant that's been fun, right? A lot of the times – Miles Turner can do it, or Ben Matherin could do it, or Aaron Nesbitt could do it, but not all the time, right? They had some nights where that wasn't the case. And I think now Siakam is reliably, you could say that he's going to be that guy every game, right? He already was a solid number two in Toronto all the time, including on, you know, a championship team. Maybe you could say he was the number three on the championship team, but he was awesome in that role next to Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry in 2019. And so next to Halliburton, when He'll have the easier opportunities, right? Best point guard that Siakam's ever played with. And even potentially next to some better shooters or a spacing center, which he's never played with. Like, his offensive fit's just going to be phenomenal. And I think he's going to be very reliably the number two option for them every single night. And then their old number two options can kind of be naturally number three options, which makes a lot of sense for them. Offensively, then Halberton's not in the game. You know, they've sometimes lacked punch. Matherin stepped up recently to help them in those ways. And I think that's also going to be huge. So uh, Scott Agnes wrote this as, as his headline. I think it's a great thesis. Their ceiling and floor is now higher because their floor is higher because when Halliburton's not playing, they can be better. And their ceiling's higher because he fits so well offensively. So I think that all makes a ton of sense. I think that's all going to be huge for them. As for questions, um, you know, he's maybe the worst shooter in their rotation, which is crazy to say. He's not even a bad shooter. Like the last two months, he's at almost 40% from three. I think since his first two seasons of the NBA, he was a dreadful shooter, and then he's been basically like 35% on decent volume the last six years of his career. He's not good at it, though, and the Pacers have a lot of power in their offensive abilities because they have you know, a lot of average shooters who are willing to take it. If he is not that or if he's slightly below that, you know, he's among the worst shooters who would play for them. Does that matter? Does that mean anything for the Pacers? I don't know. He might just have a lot of space to operate anyway, but – I think that's really interesting on this team. And then I'll be interested in how much his defensive capabilities hold up because his size is going to be valuable. He's still super fast. But uh, is that enough alone to still be a league average level defender with the Pacers? I think it is going to be. But uh, it's a different scheme. It's a different system. It'll all matter. Something that you shared with us a few weeks back that was really interesting to me was you mentioned how the teams that won first-round playoff series last year, I think virtually all of them ranked top half or something in in, in yep. defense. Um, and that really resonated with me. So part of where I have a question about this is on that end of the floor, Tony, and that is it easier to find the Robin to Halliburton offensively or is it easier to find the elite level defender I, I guess that's kind of where I side with this and, and and that's where I'm a bit torn on it of certainly you know teams can try and take away Halliburton and if they're successful the Pacers are left scrambling like I don't want to act like that's not uh, something that should be mentioned here but I think he's so gifted offensively that he can make others around him and and, and you're already really good on that end of the floor I've got more questions on the other end 
of it. Is that something that, I, I don't know, maybe you were kind of getting at it with, that was one of your questions about Siakam, but I guess that's where my question, my major question arises with this specific move. Yeah, I think Golden State was that one team last year. I think they were 19th in defense. They're still close, right, to average. And, you know, obviously better defense gives you a better chance to win. And the Pacers, I think, would be right to say, well, hey, we've been pretty good on defense since December 20th. We had that practice on December 19th. It was really intense. We changed our starting lineup. We've changed some of our principles. We're more willing to give up some of the threes that we were really intent about not giving up earlier in the season. And, hey, look, we've been – about league average since then, and they're right to say that. Uh, and so maybe that's you know where they would start by to answer your question, and then from there, you know, I think a key part of this is Siakam. Even if he's just an average defender at his position, that's better than what they've been getting at the four a lot of the time. Not always, you know. Sometimes when Nismith's there, things can go well. But you know, Obi Toppin has been pretty solid for the Pacers this year. He's a below average defender at the four. Jalen Smith's done very well with his physicality and size, but he's certainly a more natural center than power forward. And I think him being their best answer kind of says a lot about what they need defensively at that spot. And so I think Siakam is just the most natural. I can defend fours guy on the team. He is six foot nine. He has some defensive capabilities in a way that no one else is. And then I alluded to this earlier, but you know, now no one else, at least not as often, like there'll be some giant teams that give them some difficulty still, but they're not going to have to, like, Larry Market was being guarded by Andrew Nemhart on Monday, right? And and I know that timing is convenient for this argument, but they, they have some of those cross matchup issues all the time. And so now that fizzles away a little bit. You don't have to deal with that as often. Everybody can kind of guard somebody at their position or at a more natural fit defensively. So I think that's going to be just as much of a benefit to them as Siakam's size and ability on that end. And in many ways, I think it can help them get close to average on that end, even though I think the offensive fit is certainly a more appealing part of this trade and be better. Tony East with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, obviously talking everything Pacers, the uh, Pascal Siakam trade, and everything else. You know, one thing that I love about it, Tony, is it does give you still a little bit of flexibility, especially this season. You know, you still have a couple contracts that would look juicy to some teams. Buddy Heald, we look at OB Toppin, Jalen Smith perhaps as well. I don't believe the Pacers are done here in the next few weeks. Do you think they will make another move in the next couple weeks before the trade deadline? And if so, any way to know what that would look like, who they would be targeting, what kind of position they would need? Yeah, I'll be interested to see what these next few weeks look like with their new look team. That is an advantage of doing a trade now instead of right at the deadline is they have two weeks to kind of see where everybody fits in around Siakam and what, what they can you know, need to look for on the market. I think two interesting things now will be what I'm keeping my eye on ahead of the deadline for the Pacers. One is, okay, you have a new four, and that's awesome. Now, who's the big loser of this rotationally, right? Jalen Smith probably actually certainly isn't going to start now. Is he the backup five? Is he still getting a decent amount of minutes in the front court? And if he's getting good minutes and he's playing the four next to Turner sometimes still, is Obi Toppin taking a huge hit in minutes or – it's Jalen Smith taking a huge hit in minutes. And then also, that probably means Isaiah Jackson can't play anymore. So all of a sudden, one of one young guy in your front court, if you're the Pacers, is either playing way less or not at all. And so do they have value elsewhere, or do you really value them being your backup five or four going forward? That's one thing I think is interesting and 
Smith could be on an expiring contract. Toppin is on an expiring deal, although he's a restricted free agent. So how they manage those two specifically, I think, will be fascinating. And in the coming weeks, just to see what that can mean. And I think the under-discussed part of this trade is Siakam needs his money this summer. Tyrese Halburn's getting a massive deserved raise. Neesmith's getting a raise. They brought in some other pieces this summer. they got to care about the luxury tax now next year. And if everybody gets what it seems like they could and they keep their current team next year, they're probably going to be right at it or over it. So does that entice them to move on from Obi Toppin or get a player making less money? Or does that make them even harder think about trading Buddy Heald instead of bringing him back next year because of the tax? I think that's going to be a part of this too is if it seems like they make a move that's just kind of a lateral swap in the deck chairs kind of move, it might be financially motivated because that isn't the name to think about now you know, with the, the new expensiveness of their team coming next year. That is assuming that Siakam gets the money it seems like he should get. So that's the kind of the two storylines from a trade perspective to me is what do they do in the front court and how do the new finances set this up? Because all their expiring guys, they, they can either keep or, or move on from pretty easily, except for Buddy Heald, who is the one you'd look at. But he's playing pretty well for them. Is it that easy for them to just move on from him? I don't know. So I think that's where I think – the next couple of weeks will be defined as how do they answer those questions or do they even matter to the Pacers? Would they rather just make the playoffs and see this team there? Tony, I want to close things out. And you had the conditions on these draft picks the Pacers are sending to Toronto. I want to make sure that we get those. Uh, Luke was asking about this. So they're trading away their own pick this year and their own pick again in 2026. And then that wild pick from like four different teams coming up <laughs> yeah. uh, in this draft as well. So basically, unless the Pacers finish, what is it? Is it top? three or four in the lottery, which certainly is not the expectation or the hope, they will send that pick to Toronto? Yes. This year, it's top three protected. So if they win the lottery but get exactly fourth, that's the worst-case scenario this season. Obviously, if they make the playoffs, none of that matters. And currently, that pick, I think, is like 20th or 18th or something like that. And then if that if somehow they end up in the top three, they'll send the Raptors two second-rounders in 24 and 25. That weird OKC pick they got in the draft last year is the is the other pick this year. And doing two picks in the same year helps them with future trades and flexibility with their draft picks. 2026 is protected one through four. Again, I think if Tyrese Halberton in his third year of his max contract, plus if they still have Siakam, if they're in the top four of the, the draft, something else horribly wrong has happened in the next three years. And then if that doesn't happen, it's top four protected again the next year before once again converting into two seconds. So they either will be trading some crappy first-rounders or catastrophe will happen, and they'll just trade second-rounders, which I think you have to feel at least decent about if you're the Pacers, even though the two picks this year already don't look like they're going to be that great. Uh, and then last thing, and I know this is probably so far off your radar right now, but I thought I would ask you just because it does potentially impact a lot of the viewing experience for the Pacers did you happen to catch anything on the Amazon Prime front oh. from yesterday, that news item of potentially now the regional sports networks, i.e. viewing Pacers games, uh, could be, will be, is, I, I don't know the answer I'm asking, is now on Amazon Prime? Is that what I'm seeing? I believe that's the case, yeah, that the Bally Networks getting into an agreement with Amazon would mean that you could watch those regional networks with an Amazon Prime account or subscription. I. I think the details have to be ironed out, but that is potentially a huge win for a lot of teams, Pacers included, that would make things a lot easier. Perhaps it's discounted subscriptions. I have no idea exactly what that's all going to look like, but 
I believe that, yes, it will be tied to Amazon Prime subscriptions, which is wonderful, I think, for the Pacers, quite frankly. Yeah, let me ch- let me chime in on this. It's going to be for your Reds, too, KB. Uh, oh, okay. well, I, well, I don't well, know I about guess... the key of cable or whatever, whatever you have. Right. You might already get it. But for me, having YouTube TV, it'll be for that. The way... I read a lot on this, Tony. I don't foresee if you have an Amazon Prime account that you're just going to be able to get the Pacers and Reds. I don't think that's going to be the case. I almost harken back to, you know, if you have Apple Plus, you're paying for the Apple Plus stuff, right? What's the soccer movie or the soccer show that everybody loves? Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso. You know, if you want to watch Ted Lasso, you got to pay that monthly fee to Apple. And then if you wanted the MLS package, you had to pay the other fee, right? Right. Uh, I think it's going to be my opinion is it's going to be something like that, that sure you have your Amazon Prime account that your wife uses on a consistent basis or you're watching Jack Reacher on it. But then, you know, to get that, to get the Bally's package, if you will, with the Pacers, then you'll pay that monthly fee or yearly fee. That's how I think it'll work out. So too pos- good to be true. The, the, the positive is the infrastructure of Amazon. It will it will be more reliable than the Bally's app. I think that will be the thing that would be better for people. Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. And the way they see in the right of first refusal stuff, like I'd imagine Amazon's going to get a lot of bits to just buy up regional networks now if they ever just go straight up belly up, which is probably a part of this too. And I think you're probably right, just given how every streaming service ever has worked. And that's why I think maybe it being discounted or at least not $20 a month. Right. Uh, like that value is, I think will be a big part of this. So um, we'll see. I think that, I don't think it's bad for consumers uh, if you already have Amazon Prime, but I don't think it's going to be the cheapest way to just straight up get to Bally if that is the path that people are looking for. Tony, you're the man. We've got Grace Berger and Lexi Hall coming in How about studio that? here to close out the show. So as someone that covers the fever, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have anything else to be doing here, a little appointment listening for the next half hour. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, thank you as always, my man. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. All right, so we're back at it, hanging out with you in the DriveHuber.com studio. It's a wake-up call. Reminder, you miss any of the show, find it. You can do so on the Podcast Center, 1075thefan.com. Take us anywhere in the world, 1075thefan.com, or on the absolute free app that you can find wherever you uh, you get your apps. All right, so uh, this is going to be fun for the next 20 minutes or so. Lexi Hall and Grace Berger in studio with us, uh, and they are promoting the statewide, the state of Indiana knockout tournament, which is awesome. Uh, now, KB and I have not had the conversation. I love knockout, and I'm great at knockout. Oh, have I not told uh, you the story? Uh, well, you you haven't, but knockout I... Knockout of the Pacer game halftime two years ago. I'm uh, out. I'm the first you're one the, You were the first joker out, weren't you? 
my nephew, it's who I disgusting. took to the game, says to me, you didn't last very long, Uncle Bowen. <laughs> no, One of the more no, humbling moments didn't. that I've had. This uh, is easily, by the way, this is easily the most athletic, the best shooting, and the best defense we've ever had in the studio. Which, it, it's a low bar, <laughs> ladies, but thank you very much for the time on this Thursday morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Here, get a little closer to the mic there, Alexi. There you go. Don't don't be scared. Of, now, we don't, have, we don't have headsets for you. People eat the headsets in a sports radio uh, <laughs> environment around here. So, well, how's it going? Let's start with Grace. How's it going? How's your offseason? And then we'll get to the statewide knockout tournament here in just a second. How are things with you? It's great. It's a long off season, but I'm staying busy doing you know different events around Indianapolis, around the state, um, going to a lot of Pacers games, just getting to know Indianapolis a little bit better. Um, played in Spain for two months, but now I'm just back here. How was that? Out. How was going to Spain for two months? Good. I mean, not many people get to just go over there and live in their 20s. So, um, you know, just getting that experience, getting to see new cultures, new people. Um, it was really cool. Dumb question. How many players in the WNBA play internationally in the offseason? At some point, probably 80% of them really? do at it's some that high? point. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why uh, Why Spain? Um, I mean, the Spanish league is, is good. It's physical, competitive. There's a couple WNBA players over there. Um, and then obviously it's just a, a really pretty country. So um, just thought it was a good fit for my, my first time over there. Sure. And Lexi, how, was, uh, your, how has your offseason been? It's been going great. Um, like Grace says, it's very long, um, but it's been great to kind of visit my friends, visit family, um, take a, a step away from basketball at the start and then getting back into it. Um, it's great to train here in Indianapolis, get to see Indianapolis um, more and have a lot of fun memories here um, now that I have a lot more time than I do during the season. And I guess that's a unique part of the college game for you guys bleeding into that WNBA season, right? I guess you guys are one year apart draft-wise. Mm-hmm. So your college season, Grace, ended when, and then the WNBA season started decently, like, what, a month, month and a half maybe after that? Is that right? Yeah, my season ended a little earlier than I would have liked, sure. so I had a little a little more of a break. I probably had, like, a month and a half between our first game in the WNBA and then my last game in college, so I had more time than... Um, that I should have. Did you feel it in your rookie season, though? I mean, that's like, I, I don't know, maybe nowadays it's 12 months out of the year pretty much, but like, did you feel it kind of late? I, I know you you know, certainly played a lot later in your rookie season. Did you feel it at all, kind of stamina, body-wise? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the W transition for college players is a lot because there's a lot more games, a lot more travel. Um, so that's, you know, it adds up over the course of a season for, for any player. But now hopefully I'm used to it and it'll be a little easier um, this next season. Well, the best part is you don't have to go. You don't have to go to class anymore. So there you go. Uh, it evens out a little bit. Lexi Hall, Grace Berger, hanging out with us. So Lexi, let's start with you. So the Indiana Statewide Knockout Tournament. Now this started back in late December. If I'm looking at, I'm looking at again. You can go to NBA.com on this. It runs through February 13th. Um, explain to people. The game of knockout and exactly what you all will God, be I doing. I would hope in the state well, we all I mean, know what knockout yeah. is. Dear listen, Lord. Listen, I mean, no offense, but we also thought everyone would know how to shoot a free throw. Grace, I'm sorry for this, but the Indiana men's basketball team doesn't. Oh, so we have, to explain, we have to explain some things. So what are you guys involved with here? This looks actually pretty cool. Yeah, so it's it's a fun game. I know I grew up playing this game at the end of every single basketball practice. Basically, everyone's in a line. You have two balls, and you try to make a free throw before the person behind you makes it. If the person behind you makes it, then you're out. And so it'll go until there's one person left. Um, it's really fun, uh, really exciting. It can get really intense towards the end, but it's exciting to see the state of in- Indiana you know, get together and see different counties be able to send people 
down here for the All-Star Weekend and compete for a prize. I, I, I want to correct you on one thing. It absolutely gets heated at oh, the yeah. end. It oh, doesn't yeah. just maybe get heated <laughs> at the end. It absolutely yeah, gets heated at the end. I've been known to throw a ball or two. Well, you know, see, kick a ball or two. That's what yeah. I was going to ask. How yeah. much cheating is going to be allowed? Or maybe not cheating. How much gray area is going to be allowed? So you all may be at, as a as a team here, you may be at, Grace, some of these games. Do you guys know which ones you're going to be at yet? Or some of these contests? Um, we're going down to Evansville, um, up to Warsaw, and then we'll be a game in Indianapolis next okay. week. So, all kind of all over. But yeah. we'll just be cheering from the sidelines. So, uh. <laughs> well, thankfully for everyone there, you, you two will be competing and again. NBA All Star twenty twenty four dot com. Some more info there. NBA Events dot com as well. Um, Lexi, you are you know, Grace Louisville. I think a lot of our listeners know, of course. Uh, one of the best players, frankly, in the history of Indiana University. Lexi Stanford uh, from the Pacific Northwest. What has life in the Midwest been like for you here the last couple of years? It's been awesome. Um, having the season in the summer, first off, I think makes the transition a little easier. Um, we love the summer weather, and the people here are great. Um, it's pretty obvious they love basketball. They're um, fans of the sport, and we've seen, I mean, just over two years, I've seen the growth of people coming to our games, which is huge. Um, but it's, you know, it's a great city. There's a lot to do and I'm excited to, to see more places and go to, go to different things. Favorite spot or thing to do in Indy and what do you miss most about life in the Pacific Northwest? So my favorite restaurant I've been to is Livery downtown. My wife would agree wholeheartedly. So good. Um, and I think for me, I'm a big, like go to a lake person, go to the, I, in college I would go to the ocean. So, um, getting outside, close to a, a place like that was great and something that I miss, but there's a, a lot of different things to do here. Sure. White River and the Canal just doesn't have the same feel as maybe the ocean <laughs> college, We would something. just go out to the ocean. And of course, now if you were in college, uh, Stanford, you'd be, you'd be an ACC basketball yeah, player. Yeah. Boy, how do you think that travel's going to be? I can't even imagine. I, I don't know, to be honest. I think it's going to be a struggle and there's going to be some growing pains with that. Sure. Um, but... I know that Stanford's working hard to figure out how to make it the best for the student athlete. Um, there's a lot of hours, a lot of time away from classes. So figuring out how to help with that is a huge piece, especially at a tough school like Stanford. So um, first year is going to be interesting. Um, I'm excited to talk to my former teammates through the process. See how it goes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, fo- following conference realignment, it's like, okay, now Stanford's going across the country for games. Yeah. <laughs> those are some long, those are some long trips. And they're coming over to the yeah. West Coast. Yes, so. <laughs> yes they are again. Uh, NBA All-Star 2024.com, NBA Events.com, uh, the statewide, the statewide knockout tournament. This is probably a stupid question. It's from the free throw line yeah. or the three-point line. It's from the free, free throw, throw line. Okay. And if you go to the website, you can see, you can see the different schools and the different games and so today uh, is the 18th like for instance I mean there's a bunch of places from Jay County to Brownstown Central Northfield Junior Senior High School this is all coming up tomorrow uh, places you can go and it tells you if they do if they're doing the contest pre-game post-game or halftime so you know if you need to be there uh, before do you know if you have to sign up or can you show up do either of you know that more info on the website. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah we'll, I we'll, apologize. We'll continue on that. to plug that. Mark, go ahead and tweet out those links too from our show page for those that miss it. We'll um, make sure to tweet out NBA All Star 2024.com and then NBA Events.com, the two websites on that. One thing I want to hit on from last year, um, you know, Lexi, year two for you, Grace, your rookie year. It seemed like you guys played a lot better at the end of last season. What do you think, both for, for both of you, what do you think uh, kind of shifted late in the year? I think one five of your last eight. 
I think when you have a lot of young players, um, obviously it was Coach Christie's first year being here as well. So um, us trying to figure her out, her trying to figure out, you know, how to get the best out of us. Um, it takes time. I mean, it's, you know, we have like a two and a half week preseason. So, um, you know, it didn't come together as quickly as we would have liked. But we're hoping this year um, we'll kind of, you know, reach our peak earlier in the season um, and kind of, you know, start start collecting those wins um, from day one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it takes time. It's a really quick quick turnaround between training camp and, and the season so um, with a young team that was that was the hardest part. Lexi what was uh, maybe something that stood out to you the most about Aaliyah Boston and just her welcoming to the WNBA seemed like she didn't have a lot of rookie moments <laughs> not, at all. Not many um, and I think that's something that just really shows the type of rookie she was. She came in day one of training camp um, as a leader trying to set the example um, and it didn't feel like the game changed much for her. I know for me coming in, it, the game feels faster, so you're trying to figure out how to slow it down. Um, she picked up right where she left off in college, which was huge for us as a team. Um, and I think back to your previous question, I think just our chemistry continued to grow, especially half of our team is in their one to two years being in the league. So we have a lot of learning to, a lot of learning to do, a lot of growth to get. So I just think everyone's kind of meshing together game by game and, we'll be able to pick up where we left off. How would you uh, analyze Aaliyah and how she does on television, breaking down the game? How much do you all watch She's been on my TV a lot. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's amazing. I was watching her last night. She had the IU women's game halftime, and she was saying stuff that I didn't even, as much as I watch basketball, didn't even think of. So she's she's really, obviously knows the game well, and then, um, you know, she's great. She's great on television. That was a route by the Hoosiers last night there it over was. Minnesota yeah, it was. at home. Have you been back to many games? Um, I watch every game. Yeah. I only came back for the for the Illinois game, but I'll be back to more coming up. She is Grace Berger, Lexi Hall with us here in studio as well. They're going to hang out with us uh, till the end of the show. We'll continue to plug again, knockout around the state of Indiana as we are. What are we? Uh, is, is it a month today? Right. February 18th. Does that sound right? Yeah, February 18th is the NBA All-Star Game. January's so flying by. In a month it for is. me. I, I, what what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not complaining. If it gets us no. closer to weather that uh, oh, maybe brutal. is somewhat reminiscent of Stanford, uh, that would be great, <laughs> I think, for all of us. Lexi Hall, Grace Berger, hanging out another uh, final segment here of the show. And I, I just, sh- I'm shameless. I did it. And it's one of the first times I've done this publicly, KB. Uh, I was showing uh, Lexi and Grace a picture, not only of my, uh, of my dog's, but our four-month-old. So I am now officially the guy who yeah. is showing the yeah, picture of the child. you season tickets after exactly. that. Exactly. Right I was there. able to bring up the photos app. And you saw how fast I got oh, to yeah. that uh, to show him my dogs, but also uh, we call them Little Gas because we're gas bags here on the radio. Well, there might be more than one meaning uh, to all of that. Again, they're in studio promoting, among other things, uh, the season coming up in May, but not only that, uh, this statewide knockout tournament that you can be a part of. It's on NBA.com. As we get close, uh, of course, to the All-Star Weekend, NBAAllStar2024.com, NBAEvents.com, if you want to be a part of that. And just to hit that uh, again with both of you, that's going to be fun to see uh, all the different, I guess, what kids and adults and everybody else try to win a game of knockout. Oh, for sure. You see you see the best and the worst of people during a game of knockout. So <laughs> it'll be really fun. Um, and if you're around and you can go to a game, definitely recommend. Um, and you can win some stuff. So should be a good time. 
Obviously, the storyline right now, and uh, frankly, I would say a huge storyline in sports, period, is what Caitlin Clark continues to do at Iowa, and certainly some good luck to the Fever, and we won't ne- maybe necessarily get into what could happen come draft season with her, but just from, for you two, you know, Grace, you obviously played against her, but what do you think Caitlin Clark has meant to the women's game, not only collegiately, but also just eyes on it in general from a professional sense? I mean, she's brought a lot of attention to the sport. Um, I think I, I saw something on Instagram, the Caitlin Clark effect. Whenever Iowa plays a team, they get a huge bu- boost in attendance. So there's just people coming to watch her, coming to watch her team. So it's great for the sport. Exciting to see, you know, if that transitions to the W wherever she lands. Um, but it's exciting. And it's something that, you know, hopefully more and more people are watching. And, and she's the start of that for right now. That's great. And hopefully it continues to grow. Grace, what was it like playing against her? Um, I mean, she's obviously really talented. Anytime you have someone that can can pull up from half court, um, but also is six feet tall and, and quick and can drive past you, um, and a really good passer, it makes it pretty tough. So um, I'm glad I can just kind of sit back and watch now instead of having to, to be on that side of it. <laughs> now, you guys have said you've been to a lot of Pacers games this year. I'm curious if you maybe had to uh, compare yourself or watch a Pacers player and think, I want to try and mimic some elements of that Pacers player to your own game. Who would be the player for each of you? We'll start with Grace. Um, definitely Tyrese. I think, you know, the games where he has like 20 plus assists and zero turnovers. Um, you know, Video like, game numbers. Yeah, so stupid. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's like, crazy. how does he do how that? that even his, his lack of turnovers is the most shocking thing. Yeah. It's, it's the most He's shocking part of his game. He's yeah. throwing chest passes. He's throwing crazy passes. Yeah, no, the first game I went to, he actually had like two turnovers in the first couple minutes. So I was like, what's going on? Bad <laughs> luck. But no, he's, I mean, just how he sets up his teammates um, and can get to his spots and score himself. Um, definitely, I love watching him. So, Lexi, how about for you? I think um, similarly, just efficiency-wise, Tyrese is pretty incredible. Um, and just his competitiveness, you see it. So I think he's definitely someone that I would try to be like. Also, just buddy, if I could shoot like him all the time, um, I would take that any day of the week. That light is neon green <laughs> neon for Buddy Heald, right? shining green, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, let, me, let me ask you to this, and again, Grace Berger, Lexi Hall in here on the fan. couple more minutes uh, with them. Um, oh, goodness, what was I going to say? Oh, today... I want you to put your analyst hat on. We've talked for two and a half hours about Pascal Siakam being traded. What do you think of that, Lexi? Come on. You have to like that. That's a big-time move. I think, you know, the more offensive threat we can add to the Pacers, it'll be great. I mean, they've already one of the best offensive teams in the league, so um, exciting to see what this new addition will add. Grace? Yeah, I mean, just we were just talking about Tyrese. I think those two together are going to be a dynamic duo in the league, and um, you know, I just we got a front row seat to watch it in Indy, so we're really excited about it. Another thing I wanted to ask both of you, obviously both of you top 10 picks and decorated college careers. We had Tom Crean on the show a couple days ago, and he mentioned how the name image likeness aspect to the college game has changed so much. He, he mentioned like it was $4,500 available to him in his final year at Georgia. And now, you know, they would laugh at that at Georgia. Um, how did you see name image likeness, if at all, change from, and again, we'll start maybe with Lexi. Lexi, your time at Stanford to the end. And Grace, same thing for you at IU. For sure. So it's definitely changed. My senior year was the first year it was allowed. Um, so there were things happening, players getting money, great, um, great opportunities. And now you look at, at colleges where they have collectives. So every player on the team is going to make some amount of dollars for doing community service stuff or other um, activations. So it's great because 
now these college players have money in their bank accounts, money in their pockets to go and do stuff and not stress about, you know, paying for a really good dinner or something, you know, like they have a lot of money and, and they're working for it. I mean, they're working 20 plus hours a week for a sport. So it's, I think it's great that they're getting compensated for that now. And Grace? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was there two years of it between my first and second year. It definitely grew. And now, you know, I think year by year, it's just going to keep growing um, in terms of how much, you know, these, these athletes are getting compensated. And I think it's great. Um, particularly for, for female athletes, for women's basketball players. Um, you can just see how, how valuable they are, how marketable they are, um, and they're getting rewarded for that. And I think, you know, it's really exciting for them. That's great. No, I mean, listen, that's great having you guys uh, in, in studio. Cannot wait for the season coming up in May. Again, the Indiana Statewide Knockout Tournament. It's going to be running all the way. The last time it will be February 13th will be the last game. Again, NBAevents.com uh, if you want to dive in on that. Lexi, before we get out of here, your college coach is about to set a record. Tell us about that. So she's already the all-time winningest coach in women's college basketball, but she's about to be the all-time winning as coach in men's and women's um so really exciting for her exciting for stanford and um just exciting to see just how much she's grown um and she's one of the best coaches if not the best coach i've ever played for so really proud of her and excited for and of course her. instead of being out west now it's going to be a, a rainy tuesday against kevin bowen's fighting irish now that you're uh now that you're in the acc yeah. <laughs> probably be yeah. right down the road you might be able to you might be able to even make the game who there knows neil ivy's bunch has had some banged up you know ladies here early in the season but i think we're in come together march yeah tara Vanderveer actually played at IU, or um, yeah, yep, played at IU. One thousand two hundred and one wow. victories all time, two hundred sixty-seven losses. Uh, she was at Idaho and Ohio State before her arrival at Stanford. So just an incredible run with that. Uh, we'll, we'll end with this. Um, I, I, I know we got a long ways to go till the start of your guys' season, but just generally, how would you describe expectations here? I know it, it's a rebuild, and certainly last year you talked about you know a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces, chemistry, etc. What would you say, kind of expectation-wise, we'll start with Grace, um, coming up for the Fever this season? Um, I mean, I think the expectation now moving forward is um, to make the playoffs year in and year out. Um, last year, you know, was was kind of that end of the rebuild we were young um, but now you know we've been through it we've seen that we can compete against the best in the league so um, we expect to be in the playoffs um, each and every year and Lexi I, I agree I think you know our bar last year was to ideally make the playoffs but that was a high bar um, and we knew we wanted to get more wins than the previous year but now I think our expectation is just so much higher our bar is so much higher so to make playoffs is is the goal um, and we're excited to see that happen and I do want to end with this as well. Again, we'll, we'll tweet out those links from our account as someone that has a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Um, thank you for what I think you are providing to a lot of young girls here in this city, in this state. It's pretty darn cool to see uh, the, I guess, hype continue to grow, and uh, hopefully that continues here moving forward. So thank you for that, and uh, good luck this season. I appreciate you guys coming to the studio. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Again, Grace Berger, Lexi Hall right there with us. The podcast will be up. It was a loaded show. Chuck Pagano joined us bright and early here on this Thursday. Thursday morning tonight. Our coverage will begin at 9 o'clock. It's the Pacers in Sacramento. That is a 10 o'clock tip. Again, back-to-back coming up this weekend. Sacramento and Portland before they conclude the West Coast trip in Phoenix on Sunday. Everybody enjoy. I think it's supposed to be a decently calm weather day before tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. It is the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy signing off.